this week, we had the opportunity to talk to Sikin Samanani, an occupational therapist with experience working in the long-term care setting and for Indigenous populations in Alberta. Sikin tells us about how she landed on her journey in occupational therapy while elucidating the uniqueness of this discipline and the privilege it affords in making connections with patients. We also get to hear Sikin's perspectives on the importance of empathy, patience, and advocacy in patient-centered care and the areas of the system that merit more attention. Finally, we get to hear the advice she has for students who may be interested in pursuing a career in occupational therapy, advice which is also applicable to those who are interested in pursuing a career in other healthcare fields. Hello, Sikin. Would you be able to introduce yourself to our listeners and introduce what kind of work you do and who you work with? Sure. Uh, so my name is Sikin Semenani. I am an occupational therapist. I graduated from the University of Alberta in, I think, 1998. And I have been working as an occupational therapist since that time. I have worked in several areas of OT. Uh, most recently, I work for an organization called Generations Calgary. They are a long-term care facility uh, that I do two days a week and three days a week. I work between Sixica First Nations and Stony Health Services. Amazing. Thank you for that introduction. Um, and now we'd like to ask if you could tell us a little bit about your journey and how you've come to where you are today, specifically your educational journey and your career journey. Sure. So when I graduated high school, I did what most kids for my community, my, my, yeah, for most kids, they went into sciences and I thought, okay, I think I'm going to go into sciences. But in fact, that didn't last very long. Um, I discovered that sciences wasn't something I was quite interested in. And I was interested more of applying sciences to the human body. So I switched into phys ed and I thought it would be really cool to be a phys ed teacher. I loved phys ed <laughs> through school and I really enjoyed my phys ed teachers. So I moved into the faculty of phys ed at the U of C uh, one year after I did sciences and was in the faculty of phys ed. And then we switched over to kinesiology, of course. But during that time, I realized that the work environment uh, for a phys ed graduate just wasn't quite what I wanted. There weren't a lot of opportunities, the education for teachers, jobs just weren't there. So I needed to look for something else. And um, my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, was studying at U of A. And some of the people that he was playing sports with uh, were in occupational therapy. I didn't know anything about OT. I knew a lot about physio. And as I got to learn more about occupational therapy and how it addresses not just the physical body, but it addresses the psychosocial aspect, I think that's what really interested me. So I um, moved to Edmonton. I transferred into the phys ed program there at U of A. And then I decided to apply to the OT program just in Edmonton. I didn't apply, I did not apply anywhere else because of course my boyfriend was in Edmonton and why would I go anywhere else? And so in retrospect, it probably wasn't, I, I should have applied to other places, but it worked out well. I got into the program. And so after uh, three years of university, I ended up going into the OT program at U of A. And it was the Bachelor of Science in Occupational Therapy, and it was almost a three-year program as well. So here we are. Awesome. And you mentioned some really great points that I think students aren't necessarily aware of in, in terms of the roles of occupational therapists. And one of them is the, the role that they may play in the psychosocial health of individuals. And that's so important and such a great part of 
are such an important part of the healthcare system. So thank you for sharing that. No, you're welcome. Yeah, I think students will definitely take away from that. Now we'd like to ask you if you could describe a day in the life of an occupational therapist so we can get a little bit more insight into it. Oh, of course I could. So given that I have two really distinct roles in my profession right now, so my day at Generations, which is my long-term care center, is always very eventful and exciting because I work with seniors, but predominantly seniors from my own religious communities. So many of our seniors are Ismaili Muslims, but many of them aren't. But I think the best part of it is, is, you know, I get to work, I work, uh, my office is inside of a gym. So there's myself and my rehab assistant. And we sit in our office and people just know that on Mondays and Tuesdays that I'm going to be there. So they all start walking by and saying hello. And, you know, so work sort of gets put on the back burner a bit because there's the social part, which is huge for them. And it's just as important for me. But the work itself entails, you know, getting onto our EMR, finding out referrals. Uh, Referrals come in the form of um, whether or not I have to address, you know, look at compression stockings or edema in particular if there's assistance that people need with transfers, if there's some equipment issues, anything to do with false prevention. So I just sort through my referrals online. You know, I do a review of what's happened over the last 24 hours with our, with our residents. And then I hop onto the floors and I'm meeting the healthcare teams. I'm seeing the residents. I get to really spend a lot of good time with them because they come down to the gym and participate in their range of motion and strength exercises with my rehab assistant. I have vendors who come in probably weekly to bring equipment that they can try out on our residents. Um, and I have quite a bit of contact with family members because we're always trying to ensure that their resident is as comfortable as they can be while at Generations. You know, whether again, it's with equipment, it's with edema wear, uh, whatever it might entail, just so that the their loved ones feel like they're doing okay and that the family members are um, satisfied with the kind of care that they're getting from a rehab perspective. So that's my day, probably in long-term care. So just referrals, following up with residents, sitting in meetings with healthcare, um, the other healthcare providers, doing rounds and just making sure that everyone's on the same page. And then when I work in, in on the reserves, uh, so I work in home care. And so whether it's in Sixica or whether it's in Morley, I meet with the home care team in the morning when I'm there. And again, it's looking at new referrals. So whether that's hopping onto my medical record system or whether that's just hearing it, you know, face-to-face within a meeting, it's what referrals I have. And my work in home care pretty, pretty much entails you know, allowing these clients to be able to live independently in their home or as close to independently as they can be. And so I'm looking and I'm working with band housing to get modifications done. I'm working with the environmental health officer to make sure that, you know, there's access to clean water, that there's no mold, that the environment that they're living in is safe for them and their families. We're looking at equipment. Again, it's working with the vendor to make sure that, you know, if they need a wheelchair to be independent, then let's make sure they have a good wheelchair. We, I work with my health team as well, just my home care team to address any other issues around falls prevention, safety, making sure they have access to all areas of their house. And yeah, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of report writing. There's a lot of consultation with social work and with other healthcare providers. And so it's a very unique opportunity for me to get to work with a whole bunch of different people, despite being the sole OT. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a very different um, environment than both, both settings, but still quite fulfilling. And yeah, so that's, that, that's a day in the life of me. 
Yeah, from, from what you're saying, it can be seen that occupational therapy involves a lot of different moving parts mm-hmm. and of work with a lot of different teams. So it's definitely, it seems very multidisciplinary for sure. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and one thing you mentioned as well was, well, what I'm picking up is the importance of connection. And, and mm-hmm. um, I think especially with the, the long-term care homes and you having a similar background perhaps with some of the patients and how how that can be helpful in in the connections um, with those but then also the other patients as well so that that seems definitely very exciting and a great mm-hmm. opportunity to to be involved in patient care in such a unique manner yeah exactly no thank you that's right that's exactly it it's just it's a privilege I, I say to everyone I meet that it's just a privilege for me to work whether it's at the long-term care center or in the communities I work in, in Siksika and Morley, it's just, uh, it's, I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm great, very grateful that they've allowed me to work there. So. Yeah, that's amazing. So I guess we'll take this next question kind of in the direction of I'm working with Indigenous populations. Would you be able to elaborate a little bit more about your work with them, specifically um, how you work towards meeting the unique needs of that population in a culturally appropriate manner? Of course. So, you know, when I first started working uh, with Indigenous communities, it's just, you have to be very patient, right? Uh, Things happen a little bit slower there because of some of the systems that I have to access in order for them to get what they need um, in their homes or equipment-wise, and things don't always move as fast as we want them to move. So I had learned very quickly that my patients will them with them will allow me to be a better advocate for them. And, and that's a big part of my role um, working in the communities is that we do a lot of advocacy or I do a lot of advocacy. You know, it's just, uh, you know, I can get them a wheelchair and that's no problem through non-insured health benefits. And, you know, it takes a little bit of hoop jumping at times, but then now they have a wheelchair, but now we need a ramp for them. So how are we going to get that? And they are very frustrated with the systems that exist. And so I almost have to be a little bit more patient and just a little bit more insight that, okay, we'll get this done, but things take time. You know, just learning, learning a lot about history, right? There's a course that I'm taking through U of A right now. It's Indigenous Canada, and it's just a great overview of you know, Indigenous people in Canada and, and what they've gone through in stories. And, you know, there's so much that we're hearing now as well in, 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 in the media and in the news. Um, and it's taking the time to speak with elders, to speak with the people who I'm working with, not just to rush through the work that I'm there for, but to actually hear about anything that may have happened to them that day, anything that they may have heard, anything that they may have experienced. And so a lot of the storytelling that I'm a part of or just witness to is is really special to me because it just gives me more insight as to what they've gone through, what they've had to endure, and and just the you know, the ability for me to be able to work with them in a way, that, in a, in a way that's just non-judgmental and, you know, just with a little bit of understanding as to what their journey's been like through through all of this. And and in, in, in saying that, there's a lot of education as well that I have to do with people who work with our community who don't necessarily work within the community, but work with me to work with the community, right? There's a lot of assumptions that are made. So I think for me to take the time to educate myself just even a little bit about what what the history has been and, and what many of these people have endured is has been helpful in my work um, that I do uh, in, in the First Nation communities. Hmm. And what I, I can hear is that you're an individual who really focuses on privileging their voices. And that's very important um, with this population. And I guess for the students that are hearing this, it's highlighting the, the importance of empathy and 
when you're working with these unique populations, being able to have that form of a form of reflexivity and to being proactive in educating yourself. So, so thank you for alluding yeah. to that. Yeah, no, you're welcome. And so now I'd like to ask you about how COVID might have impacted your work uh, in occupational therapy in either of the settings. Sure. No, absolutely. So of course I was working or I do work in long-term care and First Nation communities. First Nation communities being marginalized uh, on any given day and now you throw in a pandemic. And so access to healthcare, access to vaccine, access to anything during COVID was just not quite there, right? And so in both in both places, actually, I had to step away from my work because I live with two seniors. I live with my mom and my mother-in-law, both who are 80 and 75. And so for me, I was off of work and I was at home. However, some of the work, you know, I, I had a lot of flexibility with the teams that I was working in in both places or in all three places, I guess, where I could do stuff remotely. My rehab assistant continued to work and he really enabled and allowed me to connect with our residents via video call. And so I could do a few things remotely. It wasn't the same. You miss that one-on-one interaction. You miss that personal touch. But the whole idea was not to continue to have that continuity, right? To have that continuity of care and not to have any disruption. You know, certainly working with elders and wearing a mask and a visor and having them hear what I'm trying to say or even communicate what I'm trying to say. A lot of it is in facial expressions and a lot of it is just, you know, them being able to see me talk and to have that barrier in place certainly made it challenging for many people. And it just, you know, for them, it just wasn't normal. It wasn't normal talking to somebody that had a mask on that had full PPE goggles, gloves, you know, it, it, it did, it did feel like, you know, I was from the twilight zone walking into a lot of these homes and, but I think the communities both began to understand the seriousness of this and how important it was to keep everyone safe and protected. So when I was back to work, probably six weeks after the pandemic started, you know, you just practice all the safe measures that were taught. You, you do what you have to do within the parameters of the work that we do. And, you know, we tried or I tried to keep the service running. And so, you know, even till this day, working in a long-term care center, you just continue to be protective. You're very protective of your residents, of course, and even my community in First Nations. And thankfully, I mean, we were fortunate that those were both the groups that got vaccinated first. So that was really a beautiful thing to experience with our communities. And for them to see, you know, they were just, they couldn't wait to roll up their sleeve. And I think for them, it's been a long journey. And, and for me, it was, you know, I, I can't wait to get back to normal. I think the mask, I, I believe in the protection it affords, but it just takes away from some of that personal touch with some of my, with a lot of my residents and a lot of my community members. So, yeah. A lot of adjustments seem to have been made and are continuing to need, need to be made. But yes, I, I, I hope along with everybody else that we can soon return to normalcy. Yes. Um, and so now we'd like to focus the interview towards patient-centered care. And if you could elaborate or discuss the approach that occupational, occupational therapists take towards patient-centered care, for example, how they work with other allied health professionals in interdisciplinary settings. And you've touched upon this earlier, but if there's any other information you have on this or further elaboration that you have. Oh, no, of course. So, you know, because I, the settings that I work in are a community setting and a long-term care setting, any other settings, 
you you set goals with your clients you know you want to you want to get a sense of what it is that they want out of their day-to-day experiences their day-to-day living in long-term care it's a little bit different because we're not really setting goals with them but we're just trying to help with their quality of life and that can't be achieved with me by myself so I work in a phenomenal interdisciplinary team that involves you know nursing team LPN HCAs dietitian social work rec therapy, which is huge in long-term care. And then we have the hospitality teams and those that aren't health professionals either, you know? So I think as we work together as a group, and of course my rehab assistant, but as we work together, it's, it's the way that you can enhance the quality of life of your residents, right? Because everyone's on the same page. Everyone's wanting to ensure that the work that they're doing is contributing to the overall outcome of these residents' lives. So I don't think the work that we do, we can't do alone. It has to be in a team for sure. And that's why I value the interdisciplinary conferences that we have weekly. I think they're so amazing. The doctor is participating in that. There's a pharmacist as well. And so you realize that each of your disciplines is contributing to the greater good of the residents. So it's it's very vital. In my home care uh, position, I have a great team of nurses I work with in home care, LPNs, and then I get to consult with physio, I get to consult with social work, I get to consult with, you know, mental health specialists. And again, it's it's working together to make sure that the needs and, you know, yeah, the needs and of our of our of our um, community are just met in a way that, you know, you can't do alone, you know, and that's and that's a big realization that any any sort of work we do, it's it's better in numbers, right? You just get there's more power. There's more voices, there's more action. And I think it's instrumental when I get to be a part of a team that can advocate, that can move things, that can, you know, be heard. And and yeah, I, I value that. I value being able to work with many of my colleagues that I work with. So. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so now I'd like to ask you if there's an area of the healthcare system that you think merits more attention or needs improvement. For example, if there is an area within the healthcare system wherein patient needs aren't necessarily being met in a way that they could be met in an efficient manner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course. Um, you know, I, I will talk about my work in First Nations. I think one of the big areas that we struggle with or that I struggle with is just continuity of care. A lot of times our community members are in the hospital and they need, you know, they're getting surgery, they've been injured. There's just some, some reason that they've been there. And the discharge process that when they're coming back to the community is full of a lot of assumptions. It's full of a lot of theories that people don't really know much about what's happening on reserve. And, you know, they just think things are the way they should be. And there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of talk with us, right? So but usually on a Friday afternoon of a long weekend, we will get five discharges where they'll be like, okay, here you go. Here are your clients. Good luck. This is what they need. And they get discharged and, you know, not realizing that a lot of what we need to get for our clients doesn't happen that quickly. It takes some time. And so now you're discharging someone to potentially an environment where they can't get into their home because of a, there's no ramp or they don't have access to some of the supplies that they need and so on and so forth. So we're left scrambling and we do scramble and we become really good at scrambling and trying to put things in place. But I would have to say it's that continue, continuity of care, right? It's just communication between the acute care sites and our our home care programs where we're just in the know, right? 
if somebody gets admitted, let us know. Or if there's a liaison involved, just connect with us. So we are well aware of who's in the hospital and what to expect and how we can best look after them when they come back to our community. So that is that is a huge area where I think there has to be huge improvements made for sure. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's this notion that like care should only be provided within a hospital-based setting or a clinical setting, but it doesn't stop there. Patients, when they go home, as you said, they have needs that need to be met. And I guess it's clear that there can be improvements within that area. So thank you. Absolutely. For bringing yeah. that up. And so now we'll be wrapping up our interview, but we always like to ask our interviewees about resources, or opportunities that you think students should pursue to prepare themselves if they are interested in occupational therapy or healthcare in general. Sure. I mean, one of the things that students can do is just volunteer or, or search an OT on the C in, on our association webpage. Um, each province has their own provincial regulated OT organization, but then there's the Canadian Association of Occupational Therapists, and it gives a lot of good information about what an OT does. I suspect there's some YouTube videos out there about what an OT does, but it's connecting with people and, and seeing if you can shadow someone or call somebody or go out for you know, some, of course, you're bound by some restrictions when you're with Alberta Health Services or whatever, but there's a lot of other OTs who um, are able to bring people along for a ride along. I mean, I often I'll meet people and they're like, oh, this is what you do. And I'm like, come with me, let me take you out to our First Nation community. And, you know, I think it, it's really valuable for people to be immersed in the environment um, and just to see the community that you're working with, the people who you're working with, the kind of work that OTs are doing. And it's, it's such a vast, diverse profession that you can be seen working in a hospital with adults, children in the community, you know, the marginalized populations in downtown, uh, First Nations communities, long-term care. I mean, it's so diverse, workman's compensation. And so reach out and try and find an area that you're interested in and see if you can locate an OT who'd be willing to talk to you and just share whatever insights they have about the profession and even allow you to join them for a, a day in the life of so. Mm-hmm. So those connections are really important yeah, for students yeah. to get that exposure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you could give your younger self any advice, um, for example, your high school self or and your undergraduate self in your fourth year, what would that advice be? I guess it's just don't rush into things. You know, I think the notion, of course, for several of us is you finish high school, you go into university, you get your degree and you have a job. And I think for me, I did that, of course, but I think just to take a break, if you can take a break, if you don't know what you want to do, explore different courses, talk to people, make connections, learn about all these different opportunities there are and get a sense of who you are. You know, what are your strengths? What is the stuff you really like? What can you see yourself doing every day for the next 25 years? And what can you see yourself not really liking? And how do you find a profession that sort of matches that, right? So travel if you can travel abroad see what's out there yeah I think for me I think it would be just take a break and just reflect on the last 12 years of your school and think about what the next 25 30 years are going to look like and and don't rush into it if you if you don't have to if you're not sure it's okay it's okay not to be sure I think that's what it is it's okay not to be sure yeah and then taking that time off I guess it can allow for growth as well absolutely we always appreciate professionals that have so much experience and have worked in the healthcare field to tell us this themselves. So we really thank you for your advice and for all the questions that you provided wonderful answers to. And that concludes our interview. A huge thank you to Sikkin for providing such wonderful insight into her occupational therapy work and educating our listeners on many of the things this field has to offer.